following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Um, this morning, oh, my name's Brad, by the way, for those of you that don't know me, kia ora. Uh, I am, I'm just one of, the, one of the people that come along to church, that's who I am. And this morning, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be carrying on with our Sermon on the Mount series, which we've been so blessed by. Amen. It's been such a great series. So we're going to be reading Matthew 7, verses 1 through to 6, and we're going to be tackling, or attempting to tackle the, the topic of judging this morning. Do not judge others. And I've got one of my good friends, Sean, is going to come up and read for us this morning. Sean, um, I think this mic. Yeah. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Awesome. Thanks, Sean. I think you'd agree with me, church, this morning that we as humans, and I promise I'm not just speaking for myself, we are wired to judge, aren't we? We are just by nature judgmental. We love to judge all sorts of things. One, movies, you know? We judge movies, how the actors did, how good was the score, you know, what did you think about that scene, how good was the sequel. I don't know if you're like me, I'll go on IMDb, anyone heard of IMDb? And if the movie doesn't have more than six stars, we ain't watching it, which is terrible because one of my favorite movies is Cheaper by the Dozen and it's got a 5.5. So don't go by that. We love to judge food, don't we? You know, what it tastes like, what it smells like, how good it looks. You might even be one of those people and, oh, it embarrasses me every time if I'm there, that loves to let the restaurant know what you thought of the food, you know, you like to send it back sometimes, I don't know, but we love to, we love to judge travel, you know, places we went to, how we got there, when anyone comes back from a holiday, we always ask, how was it, and normally we start with the good things, and then we kind of expand on the negative places, and things about where you went, there's actually full-time jobs for people that like to do that, critics, hey, movie critics, film critics, What's the other one? Travel critics. You know, I hope there's no critics in this room. What was that one? Yeah, sermon critics. Yeah, all of you. <laughs> You've just stolen my main point of the sermon. And we do love to judge people too. I was actually reading this week all about first impressions. And I was wondering how long it takes you to kind of form a first impression, right? And I was reading a study in a magazine called The Psychological Science, two psychologists, Janine Willis and Alexander Todorov from Princeton. And so they, made a, they did a, a paper and a study about first impressions, and that was the title of their paper. And they kind of, from their study, worked out how long it takes for a human being to form a first impression of another. Any guesses? Seconds? Minute? A second? So if we chuck it up, this is what they said. All it takes... Oh, I've read it from here, I can't quite see, is a tenth of a second to form an, an impression of a stranger from their face. And that longer exposures, they don't significantly alter those impressions, 
although they might boost or reinforce your confidence in your judgment. Now, I've been up here for about three minutes. <laughs> so I'm doomed already. You saw me. I've got white shoes and white socks and thinking, mm, hang on. His hair's a little bit long, hasn't shaved this morning. What's this young buck got to teach me? So I've got about 30 minutes to win you all back over. But it's, it's a tenth of a second. Isn't that just such an impersonal way of getting to know someone? I mean, we've all had bad days, yeah? And we've all met people for the first time on our bad days or in those bad moments. What a shame if that's the impression they get of you from that one tenth. And Jesus knew this because he just knows everything. He knew that as humans, we are wired to judge people that way, which is why he decided to discuss it on the Sermon on the Mount. Nothing he discussed on the Sermon on the Mount was by accident. I think I've said this before. Hundreds of topics he could have addressed, but every single one of them, as we've been finding out in this series, is so relevant for today as it was 2,000 years ago, right? And yes, it's a rather prickly part of the Sermon on the Mount, judging others. And it's really important, though, because I feel like in the, the realm or the spectrum of not just Christianity, but the world at large, there are kind of these polarizing views or extremes of thought when it comes to judging others, how Christians judge the opinion of Christians in this kind of topic. The first extreme, we'll go this, end, this side of the room. It's all right. You will look lovely. We've got those that aren't Christian, potentially. I'm talking mainly about unbelievers here. Not because they don't have the ability to believe God is real, not that they don't logically think there is a God, but because they've met harsh, judgmental, hypocritical Christians. And they don't want any part of that, which is a really important reminder. You know, the fruits of our life are picked by those that aren't Christian, you know? We represent Christ in all that we do. So we've got that end. This end of the scale, this is the good end. Not quite. We've got, those that read, you know, Matthew 7, 1, do not judge others and think, oh, great, God doesn't judge me. I don't judge anybody. Um, you might even be a Christian, and it's all love, it's all peace, it's all, you know, God is love and all good. Judgment's not a real thing. It says it, Matthew 7, do not judge. But I would say that's almost more dangerous because we can come to God if we have that mindset, and you might be like that in this room this morning, with an unrepentant heart, with and not a great appreciation for what the cross really is and why Jesus had to die. So there's kind of these extremes of thought, and I'm going to try my best to see what Jesus is really saying here when he says, do not judge this morning. Is that cool? Cool. Verse 1 and 2 says, do, uh, judge not, you will not be judged. For with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. Five words or iterations of the word judge in one sentence. So that's, Jesus is trying to say something, right? So I'm not normally one to do a word study, but I did one. Because if you use the same word five times in a sentence or two, it's got to mean something important, right? And so I did my studies, went to Laidlaw for a day, and I found that the Greek word used in each one of those judge, judgment, judging, is the Greek word krino. Now, it's used throughout Scripture quite a lot, and we know it, it's used as we know it, you know, to judge others, to make a decision, an opinion, etc., but the origin of the word, or the root of the word, as it says up there, is to separate or divide. And it comes from when the farmers used to separate wheat from the chaff. That's where that word comes from. 
And it's exactly what judging is, if you think about it. We do this when we make judgments of people. We divide people into groups, categories, put them in the box. We separate people's actions from their consistent character and just make a judgment call. We even separate people from ourselves and form comparisons, don't we? And so Jesus is obviously saying don't do it. But then there are other places in Scripture where he uses the same word, crino, in a positive light, and he actually encourages us to do it. Hmm. Contradiction or context? It's context. In Luke 7, he uses this word. We know in Luke 7, there's the woman with the alabaster jar comes and anoints Jesus. And Simon the Pharisee, he's the host. And when she's anointing Jesus, yeah, I think, have I got a slide of it? Yeah. He's anointing Jesus. And Simon goes, what are, you, what are you, does Jesus know that this is a sinful woman that is just anointing him and touching him? Does he know? And Jesus picks up on Simon's attitude here and goes, say there's two people that owe a money lender some money. I think it's denarii is the word they used. 500 denarii versus 50 denarii. They both get cleaned of their debts. Who would love me more? Who would love the money lender more? And this is where Simon replies, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Then Jesus says, you have judged correctly. I think I even underlined it. How good is that? <laughs> underlined it. Same Greek word, krino. There's a correct way to do it. What was the difference in Simon's attitude and Jesus' attitude. Simon actually then took a step back and he actually judged a little bit with a little bit of grace, a little bit of mercy. Looking at the context and going, hmm, you're right. I was quite harsh in my initial judgment. Not just looking at this woman, labeling her sinful, and that's it. I love how Jesus puts it again in John 7. This is when he's just, he, was just, uh, he just healed a man on the Sabbath, I believe, and the Pharisees are all getting up in arms, as they did, you know, and for, with everything he did. I'm just reading John at the moment, and, man, the Pharisees just get up in arms over everything, eh? And he says, so why should you be angry? I love how he puts it this way. So why should you be angry with me for healing a man on the Sabbath? Look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. Look beneath the surface. I love it put that way. Jesus is saying it's a good thing to display Krino. It's a good thing to be discerning, to sift through, to form an opinion of something with grace, with mercy, and looking beneath the surface. Taking a minute to analyze what's actually going on. He's not saying in Matthew 7, 1, do not judge anything ever. You know, there's negative things, bad things happening in the world. Well, you know, can't judge it. It's all good. There's things going on that we would say in this room is evil. Who are we to say something's evil? That's us making a judgment call. That's not what he's saying. So what is he saying? I don't know. Reuben, you want to take it? <laughs> <laughs> I got this far. <laughs> Crino in this context is talking about being harsh and condemning and having that attitude towards people. John Stott, great commentator, he puts it this way. A censorious judgment, that was a new word for me, a censorious critic is a fault finder who is negative and destructive towards other people and enjoys actively seeking out their failings. That's the type of judgment he's talking about. 
How many of us fall into that boat? We love it when someone else makes a mistake so we can point it out. We love it when somebody else is doing something wrong because we can just kind of go, look how good I'm going, look, look at what they're up to. In a church context, how many of us do this? Someone said earlier, sermon critics. How many of us sit there and listen to Reuben each week and every time maybe something comes up that kind of rattles your heart a little bit, yeah, you just pick apart what he said. Maybe the worship team plays a song you don't like. Hey, Sam, you played a C minor when it should have been an A major. I don't know the cause. <laughs> Someone you know hasn't been reading the word. You say, hey, what's God been saying? Oh, not really sure. What is, where does your mind go? Oh, must be backsliding, eh? I know, it's the, the, this is funny, but it's true, right? What about outside of a biblical context? Because I love that what Jesus is talking about here, even though it's in a biblical context, you can apply it in your life. How many of you have a colleague at work that all you notice about them is the things they don't do right? That family member. I won't turn um, husbands and wives against each other here, but read between the lines on that one. Noah. Where's Noah? Hey. Noah's my flatmate, and we live with four other Christian guys. Noah, I'm about to throw you under the bus a little bit here, mate, but I did get your permission, right? When Noah comes home from work, and I'm in a censorious judgment mood. <laughs> what you would all see as loving Christians who don't judge anyone is Noah coming home from work, heating up his dinner, sitting on the couch and watching an episode of something with the flatmates. That's what you would see. What I see, if I'm being a censorious critic, is that he's left his muddy boots in the middle of the doorway. And I'll tell him, hey, bro, move your boots, man. Oh, cool. Yeah, my day was good, thanks. <laughs> then he'll reheat his meal from the night before in the microwave without covering it. I win, bro. And I'll tell him, hey, bro, are you going to cover that? Are you going to wipe out the microwave? Then he'll sit down and watch this show called Alone, and I can't stand it. <laughs> but what am I doing? I'm just being so judgmental. I'm just picking apart everything about No, I haven't even asked him how his day is. I haven't even checked in to see if he's had a good day at work, what the Lord's been saying. I think we can all relate in some way. Amen? <laughs> I love it. All right, I'll, I'll get you all in on this then. Who here has ever made a mistake in traffic that has caused disruption or cut somebody off? Raise the hand. Awesome. Those without their hands raised. Is there a do not lie sermon coming up? <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. I'm a, I'm a bit of a joker. Now, of all of us that put our hands up, how many of us would admit this morning when the shoe's on the other foot and we get cut off, someone else makes a mistake in traffic, Somebody else doesn't go, the split second, the light turns green. How many of us just get super angry? How many of us just result to maybe some uh, not-so-kind language? You know, I, I see you, Pauline, mate. How many of us result to not-so-kind hand gestures? How many of us get just real mad at the car in front of them as if it's the end of the world? Yeah? We do that. But hang on, we just admitted that we've made a mistake in traffic. We've cut somebody off. I've got a rule in my car, not because I'm holier than anybody, but because I've learned my lesson, is I don't beep at anybody, ever. Two reasons. One, I did it once in Glenfield. This car was going too slow in front of me. I beeped. They pulled over, let me go past, and then followed me for about 10 minutes. 
car full of young, strong lads. I lost them down a side road. But the main reason, I promise this, I promise this is theological, guys, it's not just a comedy skit. I don't mean it. The main reason is because I don't know the context of what's going on in that car in front of me. How do we know the person that just cut you off isn't having one of the worst days of their life? How do we know that they haven't just been let go from work and they don't know what to do? How do we know that they just haven't, they've just had a, you know, a family member pass away and the grief is just causing them not to be able to focus on their driving? We don't. We can't, as Jesus said, look beneath the surface. And I kind of want to suggest to you this morning that whether it's a car in front of us or a person in our lives that we know, if we're making judgment harsh and condemning judgment calls, we're not looking beneath the surface and showing love. And I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't approach us this way. Jesus doesn't deal with us this way. Amen. Don't get me wrong. We as Christians are going to face judgment one day. And I would be amiss if I didn't mention this, if we're talking about judgment this morning. In this room, all of us deserve judgment for our sin, yeah? All of us deserve hell. Sorry to say that word, but it's true. But how good is God that he sent his son to be the one that takes our judgment for us on that cross? That's just the love of Christ right there. We were guilty. Jesus was not. He took the sin on the cross that we, you know, deserved to be nailed there for, so we could walk free. But he's a just judge and a merciful judge. And the way he judged people while he was here on earth in his ministry shows the heart of being someone who shows loving crino to somebody else. John 8, you can put that picture up there and I'll talk to it. You can listen to me or you can just look at the picture and read it. The story of the woman caught in adultery. We all know it. Surrounded by men ready to throw rocks and stone them to death. And they say to Jesus, you know, what's happening? What's the answer? You know, demanded an answer. And Jesus says, yeah, go for it. Those of you who have not sinned, throw that first stone. And they all drop the stones and leave, don't they? And I love the end of it. What did I say? Yeah. Where are your accusers? Jesus talking. Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. Neither do I what? Condemn you. I feel like this morning, there might be some people in this room that you're feeling condemned by God. Just feel that. When you're forgiven, you're forgiven. It doesn't matter what you've done. God doesn't condemn you. Romans 8.1. 8.1. There's no condemnation. I believe it's Romans 8.1 for those who belong to Christ Jesus. If you're in this room this morning and you're feeling separate from God because you feel like he's just harshly condemned you for your actions and there's no way back to him, that's a lie. Just thought I'd throw that one out there. And then it says, go and sin no more. There's still a caveat, still addresses the sin, still addresses what needs to be addressed. We still need to address things. But look at how he does it. Go and sin no more. Still deals with the speck. If Jesus can show mercy in the way he deals with people, I think we can too. Merciful and loving Crino, not censorious Crino. And in the next verse, 
It says how the others drop their rocks, right? This is now dealing with us. And it kind of gets practical for us, which is really cool, because it, Jesus kind of lays out, if we are going to be removing speck from people's eyes, if we are to show discernment, how do we do it? How do we get there? So is there another, next, the next slide, it says, verses three to, three to five talks about, you know, before you deal with the speck in your brother's eye, deal with the plank, the log in your own eye, hypocrite, remove that before you deal with the speck, yeah? Jesus has been very practical and applicable, got that, here for us. And I want to suggest a couple of things this morning. The first thing is that the log in our own eye will skew our perspective. If you've got something in your eye and your vision is blurred, everything else is going to seem like a bigger deal than it really is to you. We probably think sometimes, oh, Ruben, look at the log in Ruben's eye. It ain't a log, it's just your log that you're seeing in the, in the reflection. Some things will seem much bigger than it is if you're not able to see properly. You know when you get an eyelash in your eye and you're like walking around? It's the worst thing. I think it's the blink method is what I've learned. You blink it out, apparently. Or sunstrike. Oh, sunstrike. I can't stand sunstrike. You know when you're driving and the sun is just on your windscreen and you can't see a thing? Now look, after the service this morning, Come and speak to me. I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to, um, you know, hear your critiques on my sermon. Crino, Crino, loving Crino. But more importantly, I'd love to hear your tips for dealing with sunstrike. Because honestly, <laughs> I've tried demisting. Don't work. I've tried, like, the hand. Don't work. I've tried wearing sunglasses. Don't work. You know? But what do I do and what do we do when we get sunstrike? We slow down. We slow down and ride it out. Because if I was to go at full speed when I had sunstrike, when my vision isn't clear, I'm just going to cause damage and destruction. I'm going to hit other cars. I'm going to hit maybe people. I'm going to do some damage. The same can be said for you if you're making judgment calls and analyzing people. When you've got a plank in your own eye, you are going to be causing damage and destruction to those around you and yourself. Which is why Jesus then says we need to be reflective of our own junk first or sin first. We need to be reflective of our own things going on before we deal with what's going on in other people's lives. A great example of this is in Luke 18. You can go with me there if you want to. Reuben shared this earlier in the series, actually. Can't remember what it was, where we were there, but um, it's the heart of the tax collector and the Pharisee when they come to the temple for prayer. Look at the difference in approach to God. I'll read it. Just let me grab a drink. Is this okay this morning? Oh, it's uncomfortable. I love it. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. And give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. I love this. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This man knew he had some planks to deal with. Now, if Jesus could see through the Pharisees and their hypocrisy back in those times, I'm more than certain so could you know, the common Joe. 
Yet, this tax collector wasn't worried about the hypocrisy of the Pharisee. He was worried about his own righteousness. He was worried about his own sin. He was worried about himself. When was the last time in this room this morning we came to God with that attitude, that humble attitude of, God, have mercy on me. God, I have this thing in my life and I'm not dealing with it. I give it to you. Whether that be a spiritual thing or a a besetting sin or some sort of sin lifestyle that you're living, I want to suggest this morning, and I promise, church, this isn't a condemning thing. Hopefully it's a conviction thing because it convicts me. There might be some of us walking around this morning and we know we've got a plank in our eye and we're intentionally not dealing with it. Whether that, that be a sin in our lives that we're consistently just going back to or a character issue, I don't know. Some of us have got so comfortable with it, we don't even recognize it's there anymore. And therefore, the world around us is just so glass, half full. I wonder why we're so negative if we haven't dealt with ourselves first. Maybe there's a correlation there. If we come to God and just say, Lord, please deal with this thing in me. I promise you right now, if we deal with that speck, the world will become clearer for you. You will find forgiveness for sin as well, one step at a time. And then, I don't think I put a third point up there, but it does say, the caveat at the end of that, verses 3 to 6, then deal with the speck. That's actually really important, and I want to emphasize that this morning. I'm not saying that we only deal with ourselves and not worry about what's going on around us. No, no, we need to deal with what's going on. Like I said, I live in a Christian flat with four awesome men of God, And one of the best things and worst things about living in a flat with other Christians is accountability. You know, (laughs) whenever there's an issue, whenever there's uh, uh, something in our character that doesn't align with with Christ or how, you know, we normally live, the boys will hit you up. Noah's hit me up plenty of times. Hey, Brad, man, I I heard you say that thing. Um, I wasn't really loving, bro. What's going on in your life? Hey, Brad, how's how's your journey going with this issue that you say you want some help with? James talks about confessing your sins to one another that you may be healed. It's really important because there are people in our lives that need, you know, iron sharpens iron. We need to sharpen each other and spur and encourage each other in the faith. I was reading, I think it's in Galatians 6, 1 or 5, 1. It's one of those two. It wasn't even in my sermon notes. I was just reading it. And it talks about if you who are spiritual see a brother or sister stumble into sin gently, loving Crino, I'm going to keep using the word Korean. I hope it sinks in. Gently pick them up and put them back on the right path. It's really important that we do that. That's how discipleship works. Yeah? But dealing with ourselves first. And the last bit of scripture this morning is the curveball of them all. Can we get that one up? So... It's been a great, well, I hope it's been a good flow so far. It all makes sense. You know, do not judge others. Great. Be, you know, loving and kind, not harsh and condemning and just critical. Cool. Deal with myself first. Great. That makes sense. Deal with myself. Then deal with the speck. Good. And it is just a speck. Don't get freaked out. Pearls to swine. Like, where's this come from? We've kind of gone this flow. And then it comes to talking about do not throw in what is holy to dogs or casting your pearls before swine, lest they turn and attack you. It's like, Jesus, where, like, where's this going? How's this relate? And when, when uh, Reuben asked me to preach on this this morning, I was tempted to leave this a little bit out because it didn't quite make a connection that I wanted to see. And I thought, what, what's the connection there? Then Reuben said, you have to include it. No, no, he didn't say that. He didn't say that. 
But when I did a bit of digging, it actually makes total sense. There is a connection to what Jesus is saying. Like, like I've said, like Reuben has said, like Todd has said, everyone who's you know, spoken has said, Jesus is very intentional with what he says and why he says it. So let's look at it. What's Jesus saying here first? I'll, I'll just, let's just unpack that. Most commentators would agree that the pearl to swine and what is holy before dogs is talking about the gospel. In essence, this is specifically talking about the gospel or the things of God or the things of the kingdom of God. Sharing your faith, sharing the good things of God, the testimonies of what's happening in your life, the things of God, right? The swine and the dogs are referring to normally unbelievers who actively persecute you or blaspheme, mock, ridicule, a harsh, you know, towards the gospel back. Now, this isn't saying just your everyday unbeliever, right? It's not saying don't share the gospel with people that don't believe in God because that would just undo the Great Commission, right? This room would stay the same size and we'd all age out and then, you know, that's not what it's saying. It's talking about those who are like actively opposing the gospel. That's the context. So why does Jesus bring this up and conclude this judgment section on that? Well, there's a couple of reasons. The first is he's reiterating that idea that we still need to be discernment, discerning sorry, and be critical in our thinking. We still need to show that crino to go, okay, who, who are the swine and the dogs that are actually actively persecuting me? Who am I casting you know, the good news to and then not receiving it? Maybe I need to make a bit of a judgment call here. We're given warning in Scripture plenty of times that people will reject and actively oppose the gospel. He, Jesus, he tells us and encourages his disciples to shake the dust, doesn't he? From the feet on the places where they reject them and lead them to their own doom. Paul, he warns in Titus 3.10. I haven't got it up there, I'm sorry. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. Even in this series, I believe it's Reuben is going to be speaking about fruit, false prophets. Hey, am I right? False prophets. No, and I'm not going to steal your thunder, I promise. But judging, you know, picking their fruit. Well, how are you meant to pick fruit if you're not making a judgment call, if you're not separating and going bad fruit, good fruit? So he's he's reiterating the idea that we need to be discerning and critical. And I know he uses strong language, swine and dogs. But that's how Jesus rolls. But the second thing as well, I think, is he's actually protecting you. And this just goes back to the heart of Christ. Can we go back to that pearls and swine? Um, uh, Yeah. Oh, it's already been, been there the whole time. Okay. Turn and tear you in pieces. So here is God encouraging us, or is Jesus encouraging us to show loving Karina. Then he's encouraging us to you know, be discerning because it's going to affect you and me. What do I mean? D.A. Carson, he's a, another well-known commentator. He uses the analogy of the bear. He says, if you're in the Alaskan wilderness, you can feed some animals. You know, feed the raccoons, feed the squirrels, feed the, I don't know, what else? The moose, I don't know. What else is in the Alaskan wilderness? But he says, do not, do not feed bears. I thought that was a bit of a given, but 
Do not feed bears because if bears, this is true, if bears don't like what they're fed or don't like the source of their food, they'll come after the one that fed them. Same with dogs. The analogy of dogs is using in the scripture isn't talking about the fluffy poodles we have in our houses, the pet, you know, pet dogs. He's talking about vicious dogs that would roam the streets of Jerusalem who would attack people if they, if they were fed, didn't like the food, they're coming for the person who threw it. When you open yourself up to people like this, you're also at risk of getting hurt. And this can also apply to, you know, outside the biblical context once again. Who are those people in our lives that we know aren't good influences? Who are those people in our lives that are, no, no point in youth. <laughs> Who are those people in our lives that are, that are toxic, that take and take and take when we give and give and give, and we actually get hurt? I think we need to show a bit of crino to go, you know what, there's some people in our lives that we either need to cut or hold at arm's length. Now, I'm not saying cast them out and, and hate them and, you know, whatever, pray curses upon them. I'm not saying that. still cool to love everybody, but there are some people in our lives, and I think someone, some people might have come to your minds now that we need to hold at arm's length. Jordan Peterson, one of the almost... One of the most almost Christians there is. <laughs> He's a philosopher. What is he, a psychologist or something? He talks about you can't keep feeding medicine to someone who won't take it. You just can't keep feeding and feeding and feeding, and they won't take, they won't take, they won't take. And I know all of this is a, di- di- is a difficult, delicate balance, really, isn't it? To show grace and love and mercy while still dealing with our own stuff and with the speck in our brother's eyes. But I think the key is to be reflective on our own journeys with God first this morning. And as I kind of close and land this plane <laughs> safely, I just want to ask a couple of questions. And the band can come up and get ready to go if you like, whenever, you know, sneak on it. But can we just be people who show grace and compassion like Jesus did this morning? Can we change the narrative that's out there about Christianity that we're just harsh, judgmental, condemning at times? Because at times it is true. And I guess a couple of questions I want you to sit with this morning is when you think, reflect, Reflect on yourself. And I promise this morning, I'm no better than any of you. I've just admitted my faults and how I treat my flatmates at times. And I'm, this is a work on for me. But I, I want you to reflect. How, how do you treat people around you? How, how do you treat others in your workplace, in your homes, even in church? When the worship team sing that song or when Reuben preaches on that topic, where's your heart at? What are the judgment calls you're making? Is it harsh? Is there a plank in your eye, in our eye, that we need to get rid of? I know that one might be hitting a bit deep this morning for some of us. And don't get me wrong, life is hard. Please, please hear my heart here. Life is hard and we fall short all the time. We stumble, we trip. The best of, the best of us will trip. Um, but that's why Jesus is so good. That he'll never leave us in that place if we come to him genuinely and honestly. 
And I guess that last question is, are there people in our lives that we need to break away from? Or situations, workplaces, groups we're a part of. This morning, would we all just show a bit of crino, a bit of judgment and discernment and just reflect on ourselves? Is that cool? <laughs> yes. I'm going to pray. So join me in prayer. Lord, we love you, Lord. And God, I just pray right now that if there's any spirit of heaviness in this room, would you lift it, bring peace, but also conviction? God, would you just pour out your mercy and your grace and remind us again of the good news of the gospel, that you died in our place. And I thank you, Lord, that the heart, your heart is not to judge, not to be harsh and condemning, but to love as you treated that woman in, in John 8. God, would we show that kind of love? Would we be known, would Christians be known not for what they're against or how they, how they think, but be known for how they love others, how they serve their communities? Would we be known as those people? And Lord, even now, there's a scripture that says, search out our hearts, Lord, and point out anything in there that offends you. Would, you. would you just search our hearts now? Father, would our hearts just be open to, to see what is the stuff in our lives that we're not dealing with, the planks in our eye, the thing that's skewing our vision and the things that are making us make wrong decisions and wrong calls. Would we come to you humbly and say, have mercy on us, Lord. Would you deal with that in our lives? Thank you that you love us, God. Thank you that you've put people in our lives to sharpen us and encourage us and spur each other on in the faith. And I pray right now for those in this room that don't have those people in their lives, people to encourage them, challenge them, spur them on. Father, would we find that person in our life? It's in your name we pray. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.